Maybe there's somebody here this morning, you're in the throes. You're going through some trials, you're going through some tribulations, you're going through some difficult times, and, and just things aren't going the way you thought. Maybe you feel like you're under a spiritual attack. If that's you this morning, and you find yourself in the throes, you find yourself, you feel like you're under spiritual attack, I've got a word for you this morning. I've got a word from you this morning because it comes directly from the word of God. Paul, I believe he saves one of the most important pieces of information on the Christian life to this um, final chapter in the book of Ephesians. We're going to work our way through some instructions to children and to fathers and to slaves and servants, but then we're going to get to the meat of of the subject this morning. So let's pray. And then we'll get into the word. Amen? Father God in heaven, thank you for your word. Lord, thank you for the truth. Comes into our lives and it sets us free. The truth comes into our lives and it opens our eyes. So Lord, I pray for your people this morning. That their eyes will be opened by your word and your spirit. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. So we're coming to the close of Ephesians, Ephesians chapter 6. I hope you've been blessed by our journey through the book of Ephesians. It's been a great study. Remember Ephesians chapter 1 through 3 was deep. It was deep. It was theological. It talked about eternity past. God uh, predestined us. He chose us before the foundation of the world, Ephesians chapter 1. And it went through the great biblical truths. Remember the Morana Trench? How God reached down deep into darkness and raised us and brought us into new life. It's like going, I said that a couple of months ago, I said it was like going from the Miranda Trench to Mount Everest, going from the lowest point on planet Earth to the highest point. And then Ephesians chapter 4, 5, and 6 is application. It's what do we do with this deep theological truth, this, this great thing that God has done for us. So guys, without further ado, let's dive in. Ephesians chapter 6, verse 1. He's going to give some instructions to children here. He says, Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor your mother, excuse me, honor your father and mother, which is the first commandment with a promise, so that it may be well with you and that you may live long on the earth. Why do we obey mom and dad is the fundamental question that's before us. Why do, we, why do we do what mom and dad says? Why do we respect them? Why do we, we honor them? Two reasons here. Number one, he's, I love this. I love this about the Apostle Paul. He's bringing God's moral law, the Ten Commandments, into the New Testament. And don't let anyone tell you that the Ten Commandments aren't a part of the New Testament. Because when the Bible says we're to repent and turn from sin, it's saying we're to stop breaking God's moral law, the Ten Commandments. 1 John 3, 4 says, sin is transgression of God's moral law. Not talking about the Levitical law. Not talking about the ceremonial law. Those are, we see those nowhere in the New Testament. But we see God's moral law. And Jesus said, if you love me, you will obey my commandments. So we're commanded by God as Christians to obey and honor and respect mom and dad we owe that to them they brought us into this world (laughs) they owe it they they owe it to us part of being a born-again believer is that you love and obey God's law as I said a while ago 
Uh, Jesus said, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. That's John 14, 15. But I love what Paul says in this passage in verse 1. Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Let's not, let's not miss that, that fundamental truth there. It is right to obey mom and dad. Young people, actually all of us, I, I'm sorry, let me back up and punt. Not young people, everybody. Your mom and dad is your greatest fan. They are your greatest fan. They are your number one fan. Nobody wants you to succeed more in life than your mom and your dad. And let me tell you, the, some of the greatest advice you will ever get is from who? Mom and dad. Man, they, they love you. They care for you. They discipline you. They love you. But they want your best interest. And that's what we need to know about the relationship between uh, parents and their children. Is your mom and dad are your greatest fans. They, they love you. They care for you. They want to help you. And on top of that, you're obeying God's law, which is the fifth commandment to honor your mother and father that all may go well in your life. Then in verse 4, he gives instructions to fathers. This is pretty good stuff. This is pretty good stuff when you look into the, 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 the dynamics of the family and the relationship between the father and the children. Guys, we play a major role in the development of our kids. And it can go south or it can go north. Let's look at verse 4. He says, Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger. But bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. I want to look at this verse in three parts. First, he says here, do not provoke your children to anger. What is he talking about there, dads? Don't provoke your children to anger. He's talking, he's talking about things that we do over a long period of time that cause resentment. We all can think about our upbringing and things that our, our father may have done to bring resentment. But there's many things that we can do that will provoke our children to anger. Now, I just want to name a couple of them. One of them is favoritism. Favoritism in the family. You know, as fathers, we love all of our children equally. I love Emily and Daniel equally. I don't have a favorite. I love them both with the utmost love, with the most caring love. And we should love all of our children equally and make sure we don't show favoritism one over the other. That will cause resentment. That will cause one child to get upset and to be provoked to anger. Second one is um, physical and verbal abuse. Physical and verbal abuse. Let's just admit it, guys. Sometimes we can get upset. Sometimes, sometimes moms can too. But sometimes us dads, we can get really upset and we can say things that we wish we wouldn't have said. Or even worse than that, hopefully this hasn't happened, but there could be physical abuse. You know, that basically boils down to, to discouragement. But it's, it's physical abuse, it's verbal abuse, it's discouragement, it's showing favoritism that can provoke our children to anger. But look at what the Bible says. Beautiful, written for 2,000 years, eternal heavenly truths. Here's how we raise our children. Bring them up in the discipline. We are required to discipline our children. When they do wrong, we discipline them. And we don't discipline because we're trying to be mean. We discipline because we love we care. We don't want them to wreck their life. We want them to do good in life. We want them to do well. And then he says there also, equally, the father, the instructions to us fathers this morning, is we're to um, bring them up in the discipline, verse 4. And he says there, and in the instruction of the Lord, we need to instill within our children a spiritual foundation of the Lord Jesus Christ. 
We need to make sure they're in church, make sure they're in fellowship, and give them that foundation for life. You know, we got them for 18 years, and then we send them off to college or send them to the military or send them off into the world. Let's make sure that they have that foundation in the Lord. Amen? That's, that's super. There's so much there. Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. Time-tested for all the time. It works. It works. I'm just telling you, kids are raised, kids are better adults when, 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 their, fam- when their parents discipline them and teach them between right and wrong. It keeps them out of trouble. They know that that's wrong. All right, let's look at verses 5 through 9. Verses 5 through 9, um, Paul addresses slaves. Some of your versions say bondservants, so slaves or bondservants, depending on the version you have. What are, who are the slaves in the New Testament times? They were servants. They were servants in the ancient world. There were three things that led to a person in the New Testament times becoming a slave or a bondservant. Number one, debt. They had so much debt that they would submit themselves to someone's leadership, to a master, to work off that debt. Secondly, they just wanted a better life. Life was cruel. Life was tough. And they found that the servants and the slaves of those days, the blue-collar force, had a better life. Had a better life. So they said, hey, I want to be a part of that. They would call them bond servants. Third reason that uh, in the New Testament era was, um, and even before that in the Old Testament, the third reason people became a slave, they were just conquered people. They were just conquered people. Israel knew this well. Israel, the nation of Israel, the Jewish people, they knew this concept of slavery well. They spent most of their existence in slavery. Uh, Egypt, 430 years, they were um, enslaved to Assyria, to Babylon, uh, to Persia. You've heard, this, you've heard the, um, the account of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, and Daniel in the lion's den, and Daniel in Babylon. They were enslaved. In 605 B.C., Babylon came in, ransacked Jerusalem, took the young men, and took Shadrach, Meshach, Abednego, and Daniel into Babylonian captivity. They were slaves to who? Nebuchadnezzar. Nebuchadnezzar. And I... I, during the week, I have my sermon preparation time, which I spend studying for my sermon for the next coming Sunday, and then I have my devotional time. And that's where I'm just enriching myself and I'm just studying the Bible. And guess what book I'm going through? I love it. Daniel. Daniel. If you have not stu- we're going to go through the book of Daniel on a Sunday morning sometime in the future. But uh, it's an amazing book. There's two themes in the book of Daniel. Oh, I love them both too. The sovereignty of God. The sovereignty of God. He is sovereign over the universe. He is sovereign over everything. And the number two theme is that you can live a godly life in an ungodly culture. Man, we need that message. So I'm looking forward to that. But back to my teaching. Slaves, bond servants, they knew it well. The equivalent today of, of this text that we're looking at this morning is us. In the, in the working world, us in the working force. Because we, like them back then, what do we have? Why do we go to work? We have the same thing. We have debt. We have debt. We want a better life. We need to make more money so we can take care of our family. So that's the equivalent today is the working force. So let's look at it, verse 5. He says, 
Slaves, be obedient to those who are your masters according to the flesh with fear and trembling and in sincerity of your heart as to Christ, not by way of eye service as men pleasers, but as slaves of Christ, doing the will of God from the heart. With good will, render service as to the Lord and not to men, knowing that whatever good thing each one does, this he will receive back from the Lord, whether slave or free. And masters do the same thing to them. Give up threatening, knowing that both their master and yours is in heaven, and there is no partiality with him. Verses 5 through 9 of Ephesians chapter 6 is, is the biblical principles for the Christian working. And here's the thesis of this text right here. How you work at your job is your act of worship before the Lord. Hello, how we work, how we apply ourselves, what we do at our job is a, is a worshipful act unto the Lord. We serve the Lord in the workplace. Our boss, your boss just thinks that you serve him, okay? He just thinks that you work for him, and he probably signs your paycheck, but ultimately you work for Christ, as we're going to see in the text. So it's an act of worship. At the, very, at the end of verse 5, Paul ends verse 5 with, as to Christ. In the middle of verse 6, but as slaves of Christ. In the middle of verse 7, as to the Lord. Paul is stressing the point here that your work is a place of worship. It's a place where you give your very best and you represent um, Jesus Christ. The second thing here in verses 5 through 9 is your work. Your workplace is a witness. How you work is a witness and a representation of Jesus Christ. And so what should we do at work? We should be our very best. We need to do our very best job. Because people know that we're believers. They know we're Christians. So we need to witness to them what would Jesus do? How would Jesus do? What would Jesus say? Look at um, verse 5 to back this up. In verse 5 he says, uh, Slaves, I'm going to say workers, be obedient to those who are your masters. Basically, do what the boss says. He writes the paycheck. He can hire and fire. Do what the boss says. Be obedient to your masters. As long as, of course, it's morally and ethically right. Now, if they're asking you to do something wrong, they're asking you to sin or lie or steal or cheat, you say, uh-uh, can't do that. But other than that, within the realms of your job description, do what the job, do what your boss says. And then verse 6, he says, not by way of eye service as men pleasers, oh man. In other words, he's saying, don't be one way when the boss is in the room, and then when the boss leaves, don't do nothing. Don't do, give 100% when the boss is there and when the boss is not there. Do your job to completion. And he kind of reemphasizes that in verse 7. In verse 7, he says, uh, with goodwill, render service. What does he mean by render service? Do a good job. Just do a good job. Do your very best at work. Be the, be the, be the example. Go the extra mile. Work hard. Do whatever it takes. There's nothing wrong with a good, hard-working believer who represents Jesus Christ well. Whether you're in the military or you're in, the, or in college or you're in a workplace, do your very best wherever you're at because people know that you're a believer. Oh, so that's how Christians work. 
That's what, they're, that's what they're thinking. That's what they're thinking. So we need to do our very best. Now, I opened up my message with who's in the throes. You don't have to raise your hand, but for those of you who are in the throes, maybe you feel like you're going through a, a, a season of spiritual warfare. Times are tough. This is where I'm talking to you this morning. There is, we in America, all we think about is the physical. The physical, the what we can see in life. People, places, events, places we go, things we do, where we go. But there is an unseen world that the scripture talks about. The spiritual dimension where there is a war for your soul. There is a fight for your walk with Christ. And if you don't believe this is true, Satan's already got a foothold on you. We've got to take this truth um, to heart and apply what it says so that we can win the battle. Let's take a look at it. Verse 10. Verse 10, spiritual warfare, the armor of God. Here we go. Verse 10, he says, finally. He opens it up with finally. In other words, Paul is saying, listen up. This is important. You need to understand this. Be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. This, my friend, is the difference between victory and defeat. This is the difference between victory and defeat in your life. The strength of your relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. The strength of your faith, a strong faith, a strong relationship. You endure, you fight through the battle, you get the victory. A weak faith, you could lose the battle because your faith is not strong. And God has given us tools. Philippians 4.13 says, Paul says, I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. We love that verse, and I love that verse. But you need to go back and study Philippians chapter 4 in the context of that verse to see what Paul is saying. Paul, the Apostle Paul, when he wrote that verse, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me, he is at a very low point in his life. He was suffering. He was hungry. If you read the chapter, he felt like the church had forgotten him. And he was at his very lowest point. And it was in this lowest point, in this, the light, he was in the throes, as I talked about a while ago, that he says, I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. What pulled him through? God's strength and God's might that he wants to put in our lives. Verse 11, he, here we go. Put on the full armor of God so that you will be able to stand firm against the schemes of the devil. God has given us an arsenal to win the fight. Why many people lose this fight is one, they're not strong in the Lord or they don't believe the fight exists at all which are, are equally wrong. You know, we got to put on the full armor. I imagine Paul is in, I don't imagine, Paul was in prison, but what I imagine is Paul is there in prison in Rome, and he's seeing all these Roman soldiers, and he's sitting there writing, the Holy Spirit is pinning through Paul, the, the book of Ephesians, and he's just looking at the Roman soldier, and he says, okay, I'm going to give these believers armor, and I'm going to give them a, an illustration. We need to understand that, that Satan and demons are real. Satan and the demonic hosts in the heavenlies are real, and their mission is to steal, kill, and destroy. His mission, Satan's mission, and his demonic host, because we can see a hierarchy in a minute, his demonic host, their mission is your defeat. Their mission is your defeat. You've made a commitment to Christ. 
you've received Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, you're pressing forward, they're going to try to pull you back. They're going to try to pull you back. They're going to try to tear you down. They're going to try to keep you away from things that are spiritual. Uh, it could be um, through sin. You know, Satan dangles a carrot of sin, of lust, of immorality. He reminds us of our past. He says, remember all that fun you had? Remember all that debauchery? And he's going to try to entice you with sin. Second thing, deception. Deception. He, he, Satan will come in and try to deceive us of the truth. Well, you don't have to believe all that Bible. You don't have to believe in everything it says. You don't have to do everything it says. He deceives us. And the third thing, I believe, the way that Satan deceives us is through false religion. He, we, we pacify ourselves with some form of religion thinking we've done our part. When the Bible tells us that Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, the life. No one comes to the Father but me. Our, our faith, our religion, our trust, our faith is in Jesus Christ and him alone. And every single Sunday morning when we open our Bibles, we are you and your devotion time and you open your word, you are hearing straight from the throne room. But the, so so the, the battle is real. And we need the full armor. Satan has schemes. He's got plans, devices. Let's look at it. Let's look at this little, um, he's, got, he's, even got, he's even got structure. Look at verse 12. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers and against the powers and against the world forces of this darkness, against the spiritual forces of wickedness in the heavenly places. I want you to, first off, see there, it says our struggle is not against flesh and blood. What he's saying there is this spiritual warfare is real. But it's an unseen battle. It's not physical. We're, we're, not, we're, we're, not, we're not fighting with guns. We're not fighting with muscle. We're not fighting with physical strength. It's supernatural. But he also, in verse 12, th there's a hierarchy of these demonics. In verse 12, he says, um, there are rulers. He says, against the rulers. Then he says, against the powers and against the world forces. Uh, against the world forces of this darkness. There's a scheme. There's a strategy. There's a plan where Satan dispatches demons throughout the planet to, to try to deceive Christians, to try to push people away from Christ. And what we got to have is the full armor of God. The full armor of God, the objective of the armor of God is found in verse 13. Let's take a look at it. Therefore, take up the full armor of God so that you will be able to to resist in the evil day and having done everything to stand firm. My friends, I present to you this morning the, the objective of the armor of God is that you stand firm. That you stand firm in your faith. You see, Satan and the demonic hosts, they want to move you. They want to move you. And God is telling us this morning that we need to stand firm in our faith. If you... Get, we don't have concordances no more. We, we all have our, our Bible apps and our programs. But if you go to Bible Gateway or, or Logos or, or whatever program that you have in your Bible study, if you um, search for the word, the two words, you actually put them together, stand firm or standing firm, it will come up with 15 results in the New Testament. And I was, I, there's 15 of them all together, but here's eight of them. There's seven more I don't even have listed. But the scripture tells us we're to stand firm 
stand firm in his heart. We're to stand firm in the faith, in the Lord, in the will of God, against the schemes of, of, the, of the devil. We're to stand firm in the grace of God. We're to stand firm for Christ. We're to stand firm on the word of God. There's this 15 New Testament Bible verses that tell us as believers we need to stand firm. And why do you stand firm? Because the storm will come. And, and you need to be prepared for when that storm comes. And the scripture tells us to stand firm in these things. How do you stand firm? Let's look at what he says in verse 14. Number, the first arsenal for standing firm. He says, stand firm. In verse 14, stand firm. Therefore, having girded your loins with truth. The believer's first arsenal weapon to win the fight is truth. It's truth. I'm going to break that down into two categories. The first category, is, the first one is you believe the truth. Jesus said in John 14, 6, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except by me. Paul said in 2 Corinthians 13, 8, the most philosophical Bible verse in all the Bible, 2 Corinthians 13, 8, for nothing can be done against the truth, but only for the truth. We believe the truth about who Jesus is. We don't compromise. We don't bend. We hold firmly to his incarnation, to his virgin birth, to his death, to his resurrection, to his miracles, to his sinless life. We hold firm to the one who gave his life for us in what we believe with our heads and our hearts. That's what it means, this, this arsenal of the truth. But there's a second part of truth, and that is this. I believe that he's talking about in verse 14, because he's saying, stand firm. He's talking about He's talking about body posture. I believe the second part of this truth is we walk in the truth. We walk in the truth. We, as believers, need to live out what we believe. We need to live out what we believe. In other words, don't be a hypocrite. Don't be a hypocrite. Don't be one thing uh, at church and another thing out in the world. We need to live out what we believe. There needs to be an authentic, um, genuine commitment to the Lord Jesus Christ. That is your first arsenal to win the fight. That genuine, authentic commitment to believing and walking in the truth. That's your first armament that you need to put on. If you don't have it on, you need to put it on so that you can win the fight. And then he says uh, in verse 14, let's look at the second one. And having put on the breastplate of righteousness. What does a breastplate protect? It protects our heart. It, it protects our heart. The second arsenal that we put on, I like to say we, we have it because you receive righteousness, imputed righteousness when you get saved, but we need to stand in it and believe it and trust it. The second arsenal is, is righteousness. Righteousness. The shield uh, protects our hearts. You know, um, what does that look like? If you've received Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, you have the righteousness of Christ in you. And that's not something you need to pick up because you have it in you. So what does that look like? I, this is what I believe it looks like. We need to wrap ourselves in Jesus. We need to wrap ourselves in Christ. Just love him, trust him, obey him. Let him be the center of our life. 
Let him, because he is righteousness, not us. It's him in us. It's his righteousness. Just let it surround us. Let it envelop us. That's your second arsenal. Arsenal number one is believe and walk in the truth. Arsenal number two is let the righteousness of Christ um, surround you. Let it consume you. Verse 15, look and see the third arsenal. He says, and having shod your feet with the preparation of the gospel of peace. Feet speak of, of what? They speak of our, the lower part of our body. They speak of our foundation. They, st- they speak of how we step and, and how we hold our upper body. When we build our foundation, when we build the foundation of our life on the gospel, his plan for you will not fail. Do you notice I said his plan for you will not fail? When you stand, when your foundation, when your feet are shotted, when you're standing on the foundation of Jesus Christ and his word. That is what we have to build our lives on. That is what we build our marriages on. We build our parenting on. We build our life on is the foundation of the Lord Jesus Christ. We need that solid foundation. Speaking of our feet, shotting your feet with a preparation of the gospel of peace. The gospel is what brings, is what brings uh, peace to men. It brings peace in our hearts, peace in our minds. brings tranquility of soul. It reconciles a holy God with a sinner and brings peace. makes us one together. But that needs to be our foundation. So if you're in the throes and you're in the fight, believe the truth. Walk in the truth. Surround yourself with the righteousness of Christ. Make sure your firm foundation of your life is, on, is in the gospel, a gospel-centered life. Verse 16, the fourth arsenal. He says, in addition to all, taking up the shield of faith, which you will be able to extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. First off, what does this tell us about Satan? There's flaming arrows. The NASB says, all the flaming arrows of the evil one. He throws darts at us. He throws them at our mind. He throws them at our hearts. And, and what? So the attack will come. If you haven't experienced it yet, you will sometime in the future. So what do we do with these flaming arrows? It's the fourth arsenal. We lift up the shield of faith. We lift up the shield of faith. How does faith come? Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of Christ. Romans chapter 10. Faith, the shield of faith that I believe that Paul is, is looking at. Remember, he, he, he's in chains. He's in chains. He's, he's in a dungeon. He's, he's on house arrest. He can't go nowhere. But his shield of faith in his low situation that he was in in Rome was believing and trusting God. Was believing and trusting God and believing and trusting in his word. Trusting in his word. Just imagine, he's looking at the soldier, the helmet, the shield, the feet, everything. He's like, he's saying, believers, this is what you got to do. Or you will fall prey to the enemy. Or you will fall prey to the enemy. I, I see believers serving the Lord. And they don't stay firm. They don't stay solid. And they fall away. Satan pecks away at their life. One little arrow after another. And the next thing you know, they're not serving the Lord no more. Because they did not put on the armor of God. And the armor is at our disposal. It's there. It's available for us. And we got to put it on. Verse 17, the fifth arsenal. 
He says, and take up the helmet of salvation. You know, um, the last two pieces of the arsenal are here in um, verse 17. And I couldn't help but to think, when a soldier goes off to battle, we have a lot of veterans in here. When a soldier goes off to battle, what's the last two things he grabs? When a, say an army soldier. He grabs his helmet, and he grabs his gun. He gra- but in this case, he grabs his sword. These are the two most important things that the soldier goes when he goes off into battle. Um, I spent about 16 of my 26 years in the guard. I was a supply sergeant. I was a supply sergeant in aviation, in infantry, and then in WMD, uh, weapons of mass destruction. And my job when the aviation soldier came in was to outfit them with their equipment. When the infantry guys came in, I would outfit them with special equipment. When the WMD guys came in my last five years, I would, I would get them ready to go take samples of, of, of ricin and really, really bad chemicals that would kill them. If I did not supply them with what they need, they would be doomed to failure. But my job was to equip them for what they were going to face, whether it was an Apache helicopter pilot, an infantry soldier running through the woods, or or a weapons of mass destruction technician going in to take a sample of, of a really bad chemical. Their mission success depended on how well they're equipped. Your mission success will depend on how well you and I are equipped. So verse 17, the fifth arsenal is the helmet of salvation. What does a helmet protect? Protects your head. What's inside your head? Your brain, your mind. But we got to put the helmet of salvation. We got to protect our mind. We got to protect our head. We got to protect and guard our mind. How do we protect and guard our mind? Two ways. First, that we fill it with the word of God. We got to carve out daily time and just fill it with the word just fill it with the word flush it with the word flush it with the word and then as I'm studying in the book of Daniel Daniel 1 8 what Daniel did what his his commitment before he went into Babylon as Nebuchadnezzar and him were taking him it says in Daniel 1 8 it says that Daniel made a commitment he would not compromise his faith he says I'm he says I'm being taken into captivity I'm going into Babylon But I'm making up my mind, he says in Daniel 1.8, that I'm not going to compromise my convictions. you got to make up your mind. you got to buckle up the chin strap. you got to put on. Put on the armor, and and you got to make a willful decision. I'm not going to do this. I'm not going to let Satan have a stronghold. And I'm going to fight the fight. So we got to protect our our minds by saying, I will not allow those ungodly things to come into my life. I will slay the dragon before the dragon slays me. And secondly, I will fill it with scripture. And then, oh, this is one of my favorites. The second half of verse 17 is the sixth arsenal. He says, and the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. Your, the sixth arsenal is your Bible. Is your Bible, is the word of God. That's why we make a big deal at Calvary Chapel about studying it. So my, my goal is that each one of you guys win the fight. That you, you, you walk in victory and that you win the fight. I know 
people are going through battles. I know people are going through struggles. I haven't been a pastor all my life. I've only been a pastor for five years. Prior to that five years, I was like you guys, going to church every Sunday, working. I know people face battles out there. Marriages, friends, work, things are going on. But I want you to win, and I want to equip you to win. So he says, and the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. You know what I love about this? Look at the second half of verse 17. The sword of the Spirit. The Holy Spirit has a sword. Your Bible is a sword the Holy Spirit uses to refine you and to make you and to help you live victorious. In other words, it's like the Holy Spirit's sword is the Word of God. So when I'm getting into the Word of God, the Holy Spirit is using that as a sword to refine me, to make me, to challenge me, and to build me up in my faith. That book in your hand, that book that, book that you have in your hand, it's not the words of Paul. It's not the words of Peter. It's not the words of Isaiah. 2 Timothy 3.16 says, For all Scripture is inspired by God. In the Greek, uh, the Greek word there is theonuptis. Theonuptis means that God breathed it out. That's, that's, what the, that's what the Bible is. It is, it, is, it is breathed out by God. Yes, Paul penned it. Peter, Isaiah, I understand they penned it. But God so took control and worked through these men that the words that they were writing in the text were not the, they were not the thoughts. They were not the intentions of Isaiah, James, or Matthew, Mark, or Luke. They were the very thoughts of God so that we could know that. You know, it's challenging enough to go through life and not being able to hear God's voice through seasons of our life because of our fallen nature. So he's done something even greater than having this voice from heaven. He's given us his word. He's given us his, his Bible so that we can study it and read it and hear from him every time we open it. And here's the point, talking about the armor of God as you putting on the armor of God is, this is what you need. You have got to be confident in what it says. You need to be confident in what it says. Men for thousands and thousands of years have been trying to disprove the Bible. Oh, it's wrong. It's got errors. It's got mistakes. It's this. This is wrong. This is wrong. This is wrong. I think about Lee Strobel. You, you guys heard of Lee Strobel. Lee Strobel, his wife got saved in Chicago. He was a Chicago uh, reporter and he said he was an atheist he says man i'm gonna prove this thing wrong and in his quest to 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 prove christianity wrong the guy gets saved the guy gets saved and now he's traveling the world talking about a case for christ a case for faith you know talking about evangelism and, and apologetics uh there was a, uh i believe his name was voltaire lived hundreds of years ago and Voltaire, in his lifetime, um, said, within my lifetime, there will be no more Bibles. They went on a mission. They, they're going to destroy. They would, they, we would rid the land. This is over in Europe somewhere. That they would rid the land of the Bibles. Within 50 years after his death, Wycliffe purchased his home and used it 
to print Bibles. You can't stop the train. There's no, there's no, there's no worry of, oh, Christianity's going to end. That ain't going to happen. Because God is sovereignly in control of Christianity. It's his program. It's his book. People burn Bibles, fine. They'll make more. The one book that's in every home. It's in every home. Every atheist has a Bible. That's, that's too cool. That's too awesome. But, but we got to be confident in what it says. And I believe that's the message that Paul is conveying here in the, in the armor. Is be confident in what it says. Stand on what it says. Claim what it says. No weapon formed against me shall prosper. He who dwells in the shelter of the Most High shall abide in the presence of the, in the, presence of the Almighty. Enough air to say that sentence. Uh, but you've got to be confident in what it says. And then finally, uh, the seventh arsenal is in verse 18. He says, With all prayer and petition, pray at all times in the Spirit. And with this in view, be on the alert with all perseverance and petition for all the saints. Prayer. 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 When, when we pray, God moves. God works. God changes things that wouldn't have been changed if unless we had prayed. Three things I want to point out to you here. He says, with all prayer and petition, he says, pray at all times. You don't have to wait till Sunday morning, and you don't have to wait till bedtime. You can pray every day. You can pray going down the road, but keep your eyes open. Keep your eyes open. Don't close your eyes, because um, that, would, that, would, that, that, that could turn ugly real quick. But you can pray. It says, pray at all times. If you're at work, if you're at work, pray under your breath. Pray, pray wherever you are. It says, pray in the Spirit. If you have the, the gift of tongues or you have the gift of deep intercessory prayer, exercise that gift. Intercede. Pray for people. Say, Holy Spirit, give me the words to pray for the people in my church, to pray for my neighbors, to pray for my children, to pray. It says, pray in the Spirit. And then he ends the verse with... Um, be on the alert with all perseverance and petition for all the saints. Something me and Irene started doing um, is we'll, we'll have our devotional time in the morning, and I'll say, who are we going to pray for? And many of you guys in here will say, okay, um, let, let, let's, let's pray for the Howell family, or let's pray for the Hyatt family, or let's pray for the Berkeley family. But, but each morning, we'll just take time, and we don't know what's going on in your life, but we'll, we, we, pray, we need to pray for one another and pray and say, Lord, who do I need to pray for today? Who, what's, what's going on? There's people hurting in the body. There's people going through difficult situations. God, place them. Holy Spirit, place them on my heart. I don't have to know what they're going through or, or what's happening in their life. Many times God says it's none of your business. Just pray for them. But pray for one another is what is, is, is the is the um, one, two, is the sixth arsenal. I'm sorry, the seventh arsenal is prayer. Amen? Leave here today with a renewed passion to put on the armor of God. Make your notes. Go back and study it. Cross-reference it. Look at what the scripture says on walking in truth, righteousness, the foundation of the gospel, the shield of faith, um, the helmet of salvation, the word of God in prayer. He's given us tools. Now let's use them and let's, let's, let's knock the devil in the teeth. Amen? Let, let's bust his chops and say, you're not having no part of my family. You're not having no part of the people that are in my life because I'm going to come against you in the name of Jesus. And I'm going to fight this fight 
I'm going to fight this fight on my knees in prayer and watch God drive you back. Amen? If you're in the throes, that's my word for you this morning, is fight the fight and put on the armor. Now let's finish up this passage and we'll have some lunch. Verse 19, he says, And pray on my behalf that utterance may be given to me in the opening of my mouth to make known with boldness the mystery of the gospel for which I am an ambassador in chains that, I, that in proclaiming it I may speak boldly as I ought to speak. Paul's like, these chains ain't holding me back. Rome thinks that, Rome believes that they have me. They think these chains have me, but they don't. We know that uh, 250 years after Paul's in prison, that Christianity becomes the official religion of the Roman Empire. And I believe it started here with Paul in prison because of his evangelistic endeavors. Verse 21, but that you also may know about my circumstances, how I am doing. Tychicus, the beloved brother and faithful minister in the Lord, will make everything known to you. That was his messenger between him and the church. I have sent him to you for this very purpose, so that you may know about us and that he may comfort your hearts. And I love his benediction, his greeting, his farewell, verse 23 and 24. Peace be to the brethren in love with faith from God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Grace be with all of those who love our Lord Jesus Christ with an incorruptible love. What a, what a way to end a book. Grace be with all those who love our Lord Jesus Christ with an incorruptible love. Grace be with you, my friends. Let God's grace be in you, above you, around you, surround you. For those of you who love our Lord Jesus Christ with an incorruptible love, a deep-rooted love that says, Lord, I love you more than anything. Let's pray. Father God in heaven, thank you, Lord, for the armor of God. Thank you, Lord, that it's, 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 it's there for us. To, to live in, to walk in, to pick up, to take, to help us walk in victory, to help us win the battle. God, for those who you brought here this morning that are in the throes, God, I pray this brings them hope, this brings them faith, this brings them strength. And God, you show them that this is the path they are to take to win the fight they're in. And Lord, I pray that you just equip us all for service in your kingdom with the armor of God. And let us walk in victory in your precious name we pray, Lord Jesus. Amen.